The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, this is the show that champions entrepreneurs, startups, early stage, in fact, all small businesses. We're heard in almost 100 countries around the world at the same time every week. I really appreciate you listening and for making us the number one business radio show in the world for entrepreneurs. Thank you. If you're in America, you're sitting here waiting for the president's address to the nation, um, which is at 6 o'clock. You notice that the president put back his address to the nation so he didn't clash with this radio show. Very smart idea, but we're all waiting to see what we will be doing. Now, this is our 98th program on Voice America Business, and in two weeks, we'll be bringing you our 100th show, and I'm really excited about that, and we'll be bringing it to you from Mumbai in India. I'll be in India giving speeches, the big one to the Indian Retail Forum, which is a gigantic event featuring all of the major retailers in India, all the shopping malls, everything like that. And as you probably know, India's been growing at about 8%, and this year will probably grow at about 5%. But it's certainly one of the two economies to be watched over the next 10 years. I love going to India. I've had a fantastic time on all my other trips, and this event is really something. Now, on this program, we salute entrepreneurs, and entrepreneurs are the backbone of the US economy, and not only the US economy, but every economy on the planet. And the key that gives us the technological advantage and keeps United States as the leading economy in the world is entrepreneurs. So this week, I want to salute Alexandra Jordan. Alexandra is just nine years old, and she's created an app for scheduling kids' playdates. The app is called Super Fun Kid Time, and it debuted last week at Disrupt at the Disrupt Hackathon, which is held in San Francisco, and it created quite a stir. As I mentioned, Alexandra is just nine years old. I love these stories. So this week, the Bob Pritchard Radio Show salutes Alexandra Jordan. Go, girl. Go get them. Nine years old. I love it. Instagram. Instagram's a $1 billion acquisition that's never, ever made a cent. Sure, it's pretty cool. Everybody loves it, but it doesn't make any money. Well, Instagram's about to change that, 
and introduce ads within the year. The 150 million monthly users, in, uh, this is rapidly closing in on Twitter, but their big risk is alienating users with ads. So we'll see what happens. But I, I must admit I'm getting cheesed off with all the ads I get. Now, we often hear people putting down the US economy. But Dave, I'm going to give you some prom- promising news. And I reckon this is fantastic news. The US economy continues to struggle. The lousy September jobs report showed just 170,000 jobs were added. Incidentally, most other countries in the world will be thrilled to get even a proportion of 169,000 new jobs in a month. But look a little deeper and you'll see perhaps the best economic news the US has witnessed since the rise of Silicon Valley. Made in the USA is gathering a major head of steam. Climbing out of the recession, the US has seen its manufacturing growth outpace that of other advanced nations, with some 500,000 jobs created in manufacturing in the last four years. In the last 12 months, there's been some big changes. Apple, famous for its factories that are as big as cities in China producing its products, decided to assemble one of its Mac computer lines in the US. Walmart, which pioneered global sourcing to find the lowest priced goods for consumers, is increasing its spending with North American suppliers by $50 billion over the next decade, and they'll save money by doing it. Now, that'll really put a fillip into the American economy. Airbus is going to build JetBlue's jets in Alabama. North Carolina's furniture industry, which lost 70,000 jobs to rivals abroad, well, Ashley Furniture is investing at least $80 million to build a new plant. And a General Electric factory on the site of a former on the, do that again. A General Electric factory on the site of a former turbine plant in New York is churning out batteries 24 hours a day. This is an industry that's been dominated by China and Japan, and GE is shipping product all over the world. This is the sum of a powerful equation, which is refiguring the US economy. US factories increasingly have access to cheap energy, thanks to oil and gas from the shale boom. For companies outside the US, it's exactly the opposite. High global oil prices translate into costlier fuel for ships and for planes, which means some labour savings from low-cost plants in China are way surpassed by the increased cost of shipping. And about those low-cost plants, workers from China and India are demanding and getting bigger paychecks, while US companies have won massive concessions from unions over the past decade or so. Suddenly, the math on outsourcing is not anywhere near as attractive. So shipping jobs offshore has lost a hell of a lot of its appeal. And today's US factories are not the factories of yesterday. 
In large part, the sweatshops have been replaced by computer skills and very specialised training. The new Made in America economics is centred largely around uh, cutting cost tech, cutting cost, cutting edge technologies. Now, the trick for US companies is to develop new manufacturing techniques ahead of global competitors and then use them to produce goods more efficiently on super automated factory floors. Tomorrow's factories have more technology and way fewer workers, and the workers it does have must be highly technically proficient. It won't be long before employers will expect a minimum of a four-year degree to work in a factory. Now, if we're going to capitalise on this, educators and governments have to ensure that future workers have got the right skills. If we can get this right, the payoff will be tremendous. Now, the official figure for US manufacturing unemployment is 9% of the total workforce. But manufacturing represents 67% of private sector R&D spending, as well as 30% of the country's productivity growth. At GE's battery plant, which looks more like a medical lab, the plant manager runs the operation from staffing to lights to heat to inventory to purchasing, maintenance and all the rest of the stuff from an iPad with real-time stream of data from wireless sensories, sensors that are built into every product rolling off the line. So the sensors that are in all these batteries all over the world communicate with the company over the internet. So not only does this data allow production to be monitored as it occurs, it can also help predict what might go wrong. It records, for example, the average battery life in hot climates and in cold climates. Designs can be altered in real time to reflect the feedback. It's no longer about low-cost labour, but it's now advanced about advanced technology. Now, these changes have the potential to create entirely new businesses and jobs. The GE Global Research Centre in California employs some 600 highly paid software engineers, data scientists and user experience designers to churn out the software for the industrial internet that will enable these equipment in these factories. And the major technology, 3D printing, which we've spoken about a lot over the last couple of months. And this will foster a whole new wave of manufacturing that will have as much in common with Silicon Valley as it does with the traditional image of a factory. It's called additive manufacturing. And it involves laying down a very thin layer of stainless steel powder or ceramic powder and fusing it with a liquid binder until a complicated mechanical part is built layer by layer. With 3D printers around $400,000 each, entrepreneurs can begin turning out high-tech metal parts for aerospace, automotive and other industries at a lower cost and a much higher quality and much faster than overseas suppliers. 
And the 3D printing process can produce parts in shapes that would be impossible or unduly expensive with traditional manufacturing methods. That helps engineers rethink designs and outdo their competitors. Now, a foundry no longer needs workers carting patterns around the warehouse. It just prints moulds and cores stored on a thumb drive, and no patterns are needed. With US technology and expertise, it's likely that most overseas competitors will not be able to deliver that quickly or at the same level of quality. Now, I watched a, um, a video from Elon Musk the other day, and I'm a humongous Elon Musk fan, and he's invented this computer technology where he just uses hand gestures to make very complicated 3D models of aerospace parts. And then you could just print them. He's printing aerospace parts for SpaceX on 3D printers. It's extraordinary. Now, these new technologies are being developed by government, by academia and industry, all working together. Now, President Obama's proposed new manufacturing tax breaks, more robust R&D spending and vocational training for workers, all of which are fantastic and critical. Now, there's discussions about the development of high-end manufacturing research institutes to integrate together private companies, educated and pub- educators and public resources, you know, policy that supports creating strong manufacturing ecosystems is not only economically sound, it is economically imperative. This means creating federally funded research centres with top universities and technical experts from the departments of Defence and Energy as well as NASA. We've got to accelerate innovation in key areas of high-tech manufacturing. It's also important to realise the American worker is much more competitive than you might realise. Emerging nations keep getting richer, wages rise and factories just don't stay as cheap as they used to be. For example, China's promising 13% average pay increases for minimum wage workers as it moves towards a consumer society. Comparison's even more favourable when you look at Europe where manufacturing costs could be 15 to 25% higher than in the US. That is reason, you know, so many European firms are expanding into America. And American firms are continually getting business that might have gone to China or somewhere else because they can do faster delivery with higher quality at comparable cost. So China may still be the factory of the world, but most advanced American exporters are taking manufacturing to an entirely new level. America's the most competitive on a global basis than we've been in the past 30 years. And I believe that we are setting up for a very strong economic recovery in the US in the near future. Now, don't forget this program is all about you, the entrepreneur or small business person looking for tips on how to be more successful. That is what we are here for. This show is dedicated to assisting entrepreneurs. So if you have a question, send me an email to bob at bobpritchard.com.
You're listening to the number one radio show in the world for entrepreneurs, the Bob Pritchard radio show on Voice America Business. So no matter where you are in the world, we thank you for listening. Now, today on the show, I want to tell you about a great event being staged by the Los Angeles Dance Company on the 2nd of November in Los Angeles, and I will be a host on that show. And then after the break, we have an interview with Kirk Pengilly, sax player, guitarist and vocalist for In Excess, who have sold over 40 million albums worldwide. This is Bob Pritchard. You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business, and I'll be back in just a moment. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, this is a segment where we talk to people involved in show business. Last week, last week, you may recall Dana Steele the first lady of American rock radio, saying that the great rock and roll stars are also great businessmen, and she gave us some terrific examples. So what we like to do in this segment is to find out what makes rock stars tick off stage. You know, it's very difficult to maintain stardom, so what do our interviewees have, you know, that tens of thousands of other aspiring acts don't have? We talk to them about what they're like, away from the limelight, and what the business side of show business is about. It's not about the public stuff, the crap you read in the tabloids. You know, we get heaps and heaps of that. This is about what the people are really like themselves. A few weeks ago, you might recall I had a chat on this program with a long-term friend of mine, seven times world surfing champion Lane Beachley, and we received a great response to that program. At the time, I mentioned that Lane was married to Kirk Pengilly, who is the legendary guitarist, saxophonist, and backup vocalist for In Excess. In Excess are in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They've sold in excess of 30 million records, have three Grammy nominations, and Kirk has been with the band for 32 years. That's more than all of my marriages combined. He's just back from a European tour, and I'm pleased to have Kirk on the line. G'day, mate. How are you? Good, Bob. Really good. Thank you. 
Good. Now, you live in a hell of a busy household. Um, Lane's constantly touring and giving speeches and book signings and working with her fantastic foundation. And you're a touring rock star just back from Europe. So Yeah. Two yeah, really... We, we, uh, we have a lot of what we call diary meetings, which is <laughs> sitting, sitting together with our... Uh, with our iPhones and going through uh, the calendar and working out who's going to be where and when and which car, you know, does one of us need or whatever else. Um, so it is a, a constant juggling act, but it, you know, keeps it interesting, that's for sure. I keep, I guess you probably keep Skype pretty busy too. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, we, we do a lot of, with phone actually, more, more than probably Skype. Um, uh, you know, but that's probably because Lane has a deal with one of the phone companies, so she has a free phone. <laughs> <laughs> How good is that? So you've yeah. got you've got two really healthy egos under the one roof. What's, <laughs> what's the secret of maintaining a happy marriage like you guys have got under those circumstances? It's got to be hard. Uh, look, I, I think you know uh, one of the one of the things for us is our both our sense of humour um, that works well, but also I think. You know, both sort of being in the limelight in our different sort of areas, um, has, I think, has allowed us both to understand and respect um, each other's needs and, and what what each of us sort of do with our career. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, quite often we'll we'll book a date ahead, you know, a couple of weeks or something, and then the night before or whatever, something will come up for lane, and it's like, oh, okay, well, we'll just we'll just do the date another night. We don't sort of kind of get. Um, heated up about things like that. So, you know, it just works well, and we, we both understand the commitment that we've both made to our careers. Yeah, yeah. Um, when I was speaking to Lane, she said that... Uh-oh. I, I, don't know whether, <laughs> I don't know whether you actually heard it, but she said that you are, at home, the furthest thing from a rock star that one can possibly imagine. You <laughs> potter around the garden, you're a great cook, you do the dishes, even the laundry... <laughs> is that therapy for you after a hectic, stressful tour, or does it keep you grounded, or are you just naturally a sensational husband material? Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm the I'm the wife, I think. I think that's how it works. But um, <laughs> yeah, look, I, I don't know. It's definitely part of that. I mean, I grew up in a, in a very isolated. Um, isolated childhood so during my teen years you know I, I craved company I craved um, I guess being the, the clown amongst a, a group of people and, and you know I wanted to be accepted and all that because my, my earlier childhood was, was sort of so isolated mm. but uh, once you know fame and fortune came with the band um, I found I, I sort of went the opposite way and actually kind of became private again uh, because it takes up so much time and people demand so much of your time uh, at all times. Uh, I find that I, I do like to sort of hibernate at home and putter around and cooking was something that I that I started really as soon as I left school I got into uh, into cooking and um, and so I, I don't know I just I think you know, just a bit of a homebody um, because it is the contrast of the lifestyle on the road. It is good, isn't it? I mean, I, I travel a lot um, and giving speeches and things, nothing, nothing as glamorous as you, but it is great to sort of get home and put your feet up and watch a bit of telly and just veg out. Yeah, and shut down. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, that's, that's one of the things I really need to do after, uh, you know, after we do a show. 
uh, anywhere, really. Uh, most of the time, um, I mean, occasionally a couple of drinks down the bar or something, but most yeah. of the time, go back to my room and uh, put put the tally on for a little while, and uh, it, it, it's, it just seems to be a really good way for me to unwind from, from sort of all the the hype and adrenaline of doing a live performance. Yeah. So let's talk for a minute about the business side of being a global rock band. Um, in order to stay on top of your game, you need to get bookings and organise tours and maintain publicity and write songs and plan recordings and all the, and plus all the legal and accounting and all those complications. Do you have a team of people that take care of all those responsibilities or does the member of the, or does the band sort of do it themselves or how does that all work? Yeah, look, uh, I mean, these days definitely there's more um, more participation from us, from the band members. Yeah. Um, really just a matter of, of, uh, of, of, you know, streamlining the business and cutting costs. And <laughs> by doing that, you know, heads roll and you end up having to, uh, to do a lot of it yourself, yeah. which is kind of good. I mean, it obviously makes us all more responsible, but it also, uh, you know, keeps us in touch probably more so than perhaps we were in the... 80s and 90s with what's actually going on. Um, so it, it, it is a good thing, and, and, and yes, it is, it is a business. It's not just all glamour and, you know, um, prancing around the world and going to parties. Yeah. Um, although that happens. But uh, it, it is definitely a business, and it has to be run like a business, and um, we're lucky where our key people that we do have with us uh, have been with us for a long time, and uh, and uh, are excellent at their job um, and know our needs as a business. And equally as important, you can trust them and know you're not getting had. Exactly, exactly. Well, I that's think, a major uh, problem, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think that you know, in any business, there's uh, there's you know unscrupulous people, um, but uh, um, yeah, you know, I mean, the entertainment industry, I guess, has been known for perhaps having a bit more of a percentage of. Of crooks and robbers, because I think you know, not so much these days, but certainly back in the seventies and eighties and and all that, you know, uh, the musicians all they wanted to do was go and play, man. Yep, that's right. <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't want to worry about the business; they just wanted to go and get chicks and you know, <laughs> and play a gig. Yep. But uh, it definitely became a, a you know a much more legitimate business in the late seventies, certainly into the eighties. And I guess if you're going to be a crook, you might as well be a glamorous crook, right? <laughs> exactly, <yes. laughs> now, both uh, Lane and yourself, you've been very active in charity work. Um, you're an ambassador for the I Foundation, and you've also been very supportive of the Golden Stave, the um, musicians and entertainers charity for kids, and I'm on the committee yep. of that, and we appreciate your contribution. We tried to get you this year for a gig but you were uh, for, the, for the luncheon, but you were otherwise engaged. Um, yes. Can you tell me a little bit about your involvement with the Eye Foundation? Yeah, well, the Eye Foundation, um, that was something I, it was kind of purely by accident initially, but I was looking for kind of, uh, you know, so, some way of giving back in certain areas and all that, and I ran into a, an ophthalmologist on a flight back from LA to Sydney, and uh, we got to talking, and, and as it turned out, they were setting up sort of a, a foundation to raise funds for, um, well, you know, for, for basically scientific work in eye health and, and to raise awareness and all that. And he put it to me on that flight, um, would I be interested? And I sort of said, let me get back to you. And I thought about it for a while. And I actually had a pretty interesting eye history. I nearly went blind uh, in the mid-80s with glaucoma. Mm. And so I guess I felt a real sort of, 
affinity. I felt that I actually had, you know, some some sort of connection with what the Eye Foundation are all about, and went from there. So I've been the peer ambassador for about, you know, five years, I think. Yeah, um, it's, it's fantastic because I, you know, Lane's charity's terrific. Um, yeah, and, uh, and for the stars, yeah, yeah, it's, and, and it's it's wonderful that you guys get so involved in helping others. Um, one of the most difficult things to achieve in any business is to have a sort of group of people who work together as a cohesive team. I'm, that people fall apart very easy, and have a common sense of purpose and drive. You know, it's, it must be so much more difficult when you're dealing with a group of highly talented, emotional, fairly well-off people who live in each other's pockets day in, day out during a tour. So is there a lot of empathy and understanding among the group, or you, do you just grin and bear it, or do you each go eat different ways after each show, or how does that, how does that, how come you're so... A, a, bit, of, uh, a, bit, of all of it, a bit of all of the above, really. Um, I think, you know, when we first started out, uh, you know, in excess is a bit of a freaky animal, really, just because we have been together for, well, it's, it's probably, you know, really 35 years, um, even more so it goes back with some of the connection between us. Yeah. But, um, uh, it's, you know, we're, we're a bit like a family, really. Um, there are three brothers in the band, yes, so are, that yeah, does right. make it very family orientated, but we've always felt like sort of a family and we all grew up together, went to school together. So it's, 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 you know, it's kind of, it's a different model, I think, than, than uh, a business that's just started up with a bunch of people that, you know, went to interviews and got employed. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a different sort of animal. But, um, I think, look, in the early days, um, yes, we just hung out all the time. In fact, you know, we used to share houses and all that sort of thing, but as, uh, the life got busier and as the, the band became sort of more successful, you know, we grew up and all, um, and started to start our own families and all that sort of thing. And so for the most part these days, unless we're working, we don't really hang out, but we have obviously a lot of meetings or a phone conferencing, um, for, you know, discussion for whatever needs to be discussed, but don't necessarily hang out so much socially anymore. How, how many days a year do you travel? Um, it, it's a real, it's a real mixture. I mean, we had a, you know, a, virtually a couple of years off in 2008, 2009, sure. um, after touring the, the Switch album. So, uh, it, it depends, but I mean, this year's fairly busy. I mean, we were out for most of January and, uh, a couple of shows between then and now, and then we'll be out throughout June and July in Australia doing a, a regional sort of tour. Yeah. Um, so at the moment, you know, perhaps about a third of the year we're out. Okay. Well, that, that, that's not so bad, is it? That's yeah. Keeps yeah, you. it's terrible. And having three members of the one family in the band, I mean, it didn't work that well for Oasis, did it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the Bee Gees it worked well for. There's, there's yeah, that's right. They yeah, the three brothers, you know. Yeah, it's sibling um, rivalry. Yeah, it is an interesting anomaly. I think for the, mo- for the most part it usually works, although... Um, who was I thinking of uh, the Kinks? I think there's two brothers. I think yeah, they, they had a big yeah. falling out. It's uh, you know, look, it just depends on the people and the and the uh, the pressures and successes or not successes that they have. So, what's the next big um, step for NXS, and what's the future hold for um, Kirk and Pengilly? Uh, well, at the moment, we're actually rehearsing uh, new material. Right. Um, we're right smack bang in the middle of rehearsals. Um, 
And uh, recently, about six months ago, we uh, enlisted a new singer, uh, a guy from Ireland called Kieran Gribben. Uh-huh. And he he had actually sort of happened kind of organically. He'd just been writing with uh, with Andrew, our main songwriter, yes. yep. um, not necessarily for in excess or anything. And uh, we felt we'd sort of reached, uh, you know, as far as we could sort of take it with um, with JD, our last singer. Yes. And Andrew suggested um, that we try Kieran out, and which we did. And so it's been uh, it's been sort of the last six months been doing, you know, some small shows here and there um, to kind of test run it. And and now we're rehearsing up new material for this tour in June and July. Great. And for you, Kirk, what's what's uh, well, I'm pretty pretty sort of entrenched with uh, you know with, with the band's goings on at the moment. So um, nothing much planned other than whatever the band's doing. Right. You know, it's, it's fairly all-consuming at the moment. Um, but uh, you know, there's always things going on. There's always uh, functions and things that Lay and I attend, and charity things, and uh, and whatever else. And I think we're she and I have locked in somewhere along the line uh, about a week up in Noosa at some point. A holiday? Wow. In Queensland, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so it's good. Kirk, thanks very much for giving me the time today. I really appreciate it. I know how busy you are and just back from a tour, you want to settle down, you want, don't want to be doing too much. Yeah, that's fine. Kirk's that's a rock star with a great attitude, a terrific wife and a very level head. And he likes to do the same stuff that most of us do when we have a break from work. I'll be back after this short break. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for us at keyword voice America. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to Bob at bobpritchard.com that's bob at bobpritchard.com now back to the show welcome back to the bob pritchard radio show now i want to tell you about a fantastic performance that's being held on november the second in the sher forum theater at the thousand oaks civic arts plaza in los angeles which if you haven't been there is an absolutely glorious venue it's fantastic The uh, production is called On Point at 50 and Beyond, and it's being presented by the Los Angeles Dance Company. Now, the reason I wanted to tell you about this show is not just because it's a great event that you really need to go to, but because of the inspirational story behind the Los Angeles Dance Company. This is a professional troupe focusing on neoclassical and contemporary dance. Brilliant. My guest is my friend... Marie-France Levesque, who's just turned 50. Happy birthday to you. And was originally recruited by Mikhail Baryshnikov to join the American Ballet Theatre. 
and it's performed and trained under him, Rudolf Nureyev, and a whole bunch of other people, most of whom I can't pronounce the names of. But she has performed all over the world as a premier ballerina for 14 years. Now, that's a good story on its own. However, then tragedy struck. Marie France was seriously injured in a devastating car accident 14 years ago, and this forced her to concentrate her career on instructing classical ballet at universities and dance studios. Now, the Los Angeles Dance Company was formed by Marie France because of her passion to inspire people that age and adversity should not be a barrier to fulfilling your dreams and being productive in your lives. Too many people give up at 50. And as Marie France points out, each day 10,000 people in this country turn 50. So much as she has after a car accident, her aim is to show people generally that they can reinvent their lives and their careers overcome adversity and pursue their dreams and passions at any age. It doesn't matter how old you are. She believes that people can take charge of their health, reclaim their youthfulness and continue to be productive and excel. At this spectacular On Point at 50 and Beyond production on November the 2nd, Marie France will not only present the show but will also make her return to the stage, which is an evening of world premiere dance and music pieces featuring a number of internationally renowned performers. And the troupe is planning a Southern California tour in 2014. Now, she's a talented little person. She's also performed as an actress in The Bold and the Beautiful and in many feature films, including Gattaca, One Night Stand, Shut Up and Dance, and in 1997 she performed for Madonna's Evita premiere gala at the El Rey Theatre in Hollywood. I'm pleased to say that Marie France and her wonderful husband Freddie are good friends of ours, and I have Marie France on the phone. Hi, how are you? Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Thank you, Bob. I'm doing great. Thank you. I trust that you, Freddie, and the kids are well. Yes, they are. They're back in school. <laughs> yeah, isn't that great? <laughs> Wonderful. Okay, let's begin with how On Point at 50 and Beyond came about. Well, uh, it came about as, you know, this year I turned 50, and when you turn 50, you start a, you look back at your life, what you've done and where you're at, and you... Uh, you want to see what else you want to do for the rest of your life, the second part of your life, you know. And the best is still yet to come, you know, because now you still, you're young enough to still do things, but now you have the experience and the knowledge we all hope you've accumulated by now. <laughs> so this is a, a great time to start, uh, you know, a second step in your life. And... Um, Getting out and really, you know, I, I, you know, I perform, and like I, you said, you know, I was in this terrible car accident, which stopped me from performing. And then, you know, I got married, had children, and so on. But you know, I really still, I missed performing. 
Yeah. I still want to get back on stage and you know, and I've been really uh, been in therapy, and I've been retraining myself, and now I, I you know, I was well, I'm in pretty good shape, and I'm like, why not? You know, why not? So I still want to perform. I still can do it. You know, so uh, I decided to uh, put a performance together to celebrate my 50th birthday as a gift to myself. And and then in doing that process, you know, putting a show together and hiring dancers, I'm like, well, I have a whole troop here. I said, I might as well just start my own company now. That's fantastic. So that, that's how it, it all started out. And then, you know, doing this whole process again, and it's like I really feel I can inspire other people to get back to their passions they had before or to pursue new passions, whatever it is, but, uh, you know, not to let uh, age or, or adversity stop people from doing what they love to do and what they're passionate about. And, you know, with uh, the harsh economy, so many people lost their jobs, lost their homes, so people have to reinvent themselves and their lives and their careers. Yeah. So... Uh, in doing so, I want to encourage them not to settle down for something they don't like, really. Yeah. I want to encourage them to, since they have this opportunity now to renew themselves, to really go for what they believe in, for what they love, and for what their soul is about. And that way they feel really self-realized with their life and happier, you know. Yeah, I've, just, I've actually just written a book coincidentally called Fabulous at 50 and Still Sexy at 60 with an old rock and roll friend of mine from the from the 60s. And, um, you know, we see so many people of our age who have just sort of given up. You know, you see husband and wives go out to dinner and sit there and read the newspapers or, you know, play on their phones and not pay any attention to themselves and essentially apart from their kids they've given up you know they right well, and so i i absolutely applaud you now i'm privy to a bit of information about this show and it's going to be a sensational night for anybody who's 50 plus i will be there and in fact for anyone no matter what age you are you know it's not only for 50 pluses anybody who enjoys great music and great dance this is a fantastic night out. Now, what can people expect to see when they go to the show? Well, Bob, you know, they're going to see more than just a show. I really think uh, we're, we want them to experience dance that's really going to be moving their soul and moving them and right. inspire them with their lives. And uh, we're going to offer them uh, a platter of sensual potatoes, some tango and salsa dancing, some classical ballet, neoclassical and contemporary pieces, and uh, I really think the audience uh, will be inspired by these uh, world-class level professional dancers and magnificent choreographic works from uh, Patrick France, who was a former principal dancer with the Paris Opera Ballet, Craig Williams and myself from the American Ballet Theatre, and Antonio Lopez, former principal dancer with the San Francisco Ballet. So these are all the choreographers who are all 
air, and uh, they're also going to be treated to two incredible guest artists. We have Grammy-nominated piano virtual Freddie Revelle, who's going to be performing there, and uh, also Elizabeth Howard, who was uh, Miss Senior America in California in 2012. Right. Going to be singing some uh, arias, opera arias, in between the numbers, so we can change costume and and breathe a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be a fantastic night. Now, the Los Angeles Dance Company depends on events like these and donations from supporters to enable it to continue its work of providing world-class entertainment and training future stars. So if you'd like to help, go to www.theladc.com forward slash donate forward slash under support. So your donations are tax deductible through their fiscal sponsor, LA choreographers and dancers. They also advertising offer advertising in their program book and outline that on their website. So if you'd like to help, you can go to theladc.com or you can, we'd love to have you advertise in the program for the evening and you can do that also on the same website. So don't forget, the next big performance of the Los Angeles Dance Company is on Saturday, November 2. 2013 at the beautiful Sheriff Forum Theatre of the Thousand Oaks Civil Arts Plaza Auditorium in Thousand Oaks. It's just off the freeway. You can't miss it. It's a fabulous place. So, Murray France, how can people get tickets to this not-to-be-missed event? Well, there are three ways to get tickets, either at the, the box office of the theatre if you're near yep. that area, or else on online at ticketmaster.com and uh, by phone with ticket ticketmaster by phone at 800-745-3000. Or the easiest is just to visit the website because all the information is there at theladc.com. That's theladc.com. And also, you know, tickets are on sale, and we also have a wonderful post-performance VIP champagne reception right after the show. So you can buy your ticket for the show, and you can buy your ticket for the reception. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, it's so wonderful. So that's the website? Yeah, the easiest way for people to buy tickets or to donate to the companies, just visit the website, theladc.com. And Ticketmaster is 800-745-3000. Marie-France Levesque, thank you for being on the show. We will see you very soon. And I'm Bob Pritchard, and I'll be back with my next guest after this short break. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob 
at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, No Bullshit Business Radio Show. And I'm coming to you this week, as I do every week, from my hometown of Los Angeles. Don't forget the 100th show is in just two weeks, which I will broadcast from Mumbai in India. After India, I'm giving presentations in Los Angeles, Dubai and Bahrain, and I'm looking forward to coming to your part of the world in the near future. Now, this is a very popular segment of the show where we address the issues that are important to small businesses everywhere in the world. The first email this week is from Josh Curry from Austin, Texas, and Josh says, Dear Bob, we really enjoy your program. We listen to it on the archives on Wednesday at lunch. A couple of weeks ago, you spoke about Apple's passbook system. What is it and how does it work? Josh, the Apple passbook app is already the fourth most popular commercial app behind eBay, Amazon and Groupon in terms of adoption. Over 20% of iPhone users already use Passbook, and, you know, you can download coupons and gifts and loyalty cards, airline boarding passes, movie and event tickets. You can do a whole bunch of things with it. The large retailers and restaurant chains and even Major League Baseball are using it as a channel for acquiring and retaining customers. Now, the Passbook ecosystem is also being used as a valuable backdoor for developers who would like to market their apps much more aggressively, grab more visibility, and achieve higher download numbers. Passbook passes can be generated by websites with the help of third-party vendors. They don't need to be created necessarily by custom Passbook-integrated apps. Now, Passbook is actually ideally positioned to capitalise on recent retailer and consumer enthusiasm for location-based services, which are going through the roof, as are mobile coupons and mobile-powered loyalty programs. It's just extraordinary. It's possible that Apple will add a payment processing capability to ensure that users can make walletless credit card payments, which is growing at an astronomical rate. Couple this with the rumoured authentication feature, which is no longer rumoured. It was released today on the new iPhone. Anybody see the new iPhone released today? There's a new $99 iPhone, which is um, plastic case, a whole bunch of pretty colours. And then there is the more sophisticated iPhone, which has the fingerprint authentication feature. It's got better pixel camera. It's got a whole bunch of technology. It's got a new operating system, and um, it's, uh, it's pretty cool. So you add that to the fact that Apple's got 500 million credit cards on file, and this could be an incredibly powerful transaction platform. Thanks, Josh. Tomorrow, we'll post you off a copy of Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, How to Blitz Your Competition, which is my latest book. And, you know, Kick-Ass is also available as an audio book. So instead of sitting in the car 
listening to opinions from hundreds of so-called experts who probably know very little more than we do about whether or not we're going to go and invade Syria, have a listen to this audio book, improve your knowledge and improve your business. The next email comes from Jesse Morganson of Birmingham, Alabama, who writes, Dear Bob, terrific show. I really enjoy it. How can I use social media to increase interaction with my customers? Well, Jesse, there's been a a big difference over the past couple of years in how brands use social media as they move from simply having a social presence, I guess, to listening to customers and now proactively engaging with customers and potential customers. This enables them to build relationships and to deliver positive customer experiences. So this then leads to a growing need to not only invest more resources into social media, the more strategic application of social media, and ensure that impacts the bottom line. Let me give you three ways that brands can use social media to enhance their engagement with customers. Firstly, you need to identify and prioritise the conversations you receive from customers and respond to the important ones quickly. For example, a complaint needs to get a response extremely quickly to retain a loyal customer. Questions about a competitor, if answered quickly, it could convert that person to your brand. The use of social media today is such that once the conversation begins, you can be inundated with messages, but with the help of social analytics, a very smart and effective team working on your social media, that's critical, You can readily categorise the various types of conversations. You can then route different types of conversations to particular teams and individuals that can best handle the particular message. Secondly, you can create your own opportunities from real-time trends. One of the best examples, I think, of this was the Oreo tweet during the Super Bowl. I mean, how fantastic was that? And while the power outage was not in any way whatsoever related to the product, the result was phenomenal. And Oreo was on every news broadcast, millions upon millions of tweets. And it's a legend. It's in the history books. By staying in front of the topics that your customers care about, you can drive conversations and more business. I mean, a perfect example of how to do this would have been Miley Cyrus. I mean, the Miley Cyrus was just, I loved her. I thought she was great, but a lot of people didn't like it. But it was a perfect example of how you could get into that, start a tweet if you're clever enough, get a room full of clever people, start tweeting, and you could have got phenomenal exposure if you had played your cards right and come up with just the right angle. Thirdly, by combining social data, CRM information, web analytics, probably a couple of other things that I can't remember, this can let you know when and how to reach your audience 
and what content and specific offers they're going to link into. It also creates a feedback loop for it, you know, to enhance relevancy and future engagement strategy with these customers. It can give you the ability to track the business impact of each touchpoint across various products. Well, thank you, Jesse. A copy of a book that I wrote along with Brian Tracy and Jay Conrad Levinson called Marketing Magic. That'll be sent to you tomorrow. Actually, Marketing Magic is a really cool book. It is, um, there's about 17 of us, I think, put got together and put together this book. So it's information from a whole bunch of different people, including, as I mentioned, Tracy and Jay Conrad Levinson. And it's a really interesting book. You do get a totally different perspective on marketing from a whole bunch of different people. So let me remind you of a couple of things. If you've missed any of the 97 shows, 98 including tonight, that we've brought you since 2011, you can go to Voice America Business Archives and listen to any show. In fact, you can listen to all of the shows and you can listen to literally hundreds of great interviews with some of the top movers and shakers in America and around the world. And if you're a regular listener to the show and you're benefiting from the advice that my guests and I give you each week, please tell your friends to listen. Go to my website at bobpritchard.com and subscribe to my monthly newsletter. And I want to hear from you. So... Email me at bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Follow me on Twitter, on Facebook, on Google+, and also become my contact on LinkedIn. I love LinkedIn, and I use it constantly, so please reach out to me. And don't forget, if you've got a particular guest that you'd like me to interview or a particular topic you would like me to address, please email me at bob at bobpritchard.com and I will get back to you. Now, I hope you've enjoyed the show. You know, we're pleased to have been bringing you this show since 2011. It is a heap of fun bringing it to you each week and I love it. And I'll be with you at the same time next week, no matter where you are in the world, to discuss the critical issues that affect small business everywhere. So thanks for listening to the Bob Pritchard No Bullshit Business Radio Show. For entrepreneurs, look forward to my 100th show. It's just in two weeks. It'll be coming to you from Mumbai. And remember, if you're serious about being successful, this is the place to come to every week at the same time, same place. This is Bob Pritchard, and I hope that you have a fantastic week. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.